When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Will Coleman, founder and CEO of Alto, and I built Alto to put an end to rideshare horror stories. You're used to the total lack of consistency in rideshare. Maybe it's a smelly car or a driver that asks just one too many personal questions. Not anymore. With Alto, you know exactly what to expect every ride. Every Alto driver is a trained Alto employee, and every Alto vehicle is part of our private fleet of luxury SUVs. Say goodbye to rideshare horror stories. Download the Alto app today and use code FOUNDER for $10 off your first ride. Good morning and welcome to a late edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. I'm joined by Matt. Uh, how okay. you doing? How you doing, mate? Oh, you know, depressed, but what can I say? It was very, very, very expected. An expected outcome, indeed. Uh, it was even even the manner of it was expected, wasn't it? Yeah. So and so I think. It, sorry, Gary. it wasn't terrible, but it was pretty bloody awful. Yeah, and uh, it, it's odd as an Arsenal fan now. You you start to look at games through the lens of um, of lower expectations. You're like, well, we were beaten two 0 but it wasn't four 0 And you know, like there were some nice bits in there. You know, the, it looked like there was a kind of a, a strategy going into the game. I kind of understood um, the thinking, the, 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 the team lineup looked a little bit more familiar. Looked, well, well, it didn't look more familiar. It looked more like the sort of starting lineup you'd expect to have seen all season. Torreira back into the mix, Meza Ozil getting a start, but it just didn't really work out, did it? It really didn't, no. Uh, as soon as it was pissing down with rain, I feared the worst because, you know, it's very un like conditions for our best football. Um, and, um, you know, the first half was, was whatever, um, but they just, they just came more and more into it. And, you know, I think it just has to be said, I know they're having a good season. I know Brendan Rodgers has got them playing good football. I think Madison is a really good player. And, and, and obviously we know all about Jamie Vardy, but it's fucking Leicester. It's Leicester and we're Arsenal. And maybe, and, you know, you said it before, maybe, maybe we're stuck in the past, but, Getting beat by Leicester as as the norm is it shows just how far we've fallen and, and how quickly we need to get rid of the manager and turn this round. Yeah, we were chatting just before the podcast, and I I, I kind of feel like we're uh, you know being a couple of Brits, we're always grounded in you know in the history of our country, and we assume that maybe we're a little bit greater than than we really are. And I, I was thinking. Maybe maybe we're overestimating this Arsenal squad or underestimating the quality of Leicester, but it just doesn't feel right going away to Leicester um, and hoping to hoping to nick a goal on the counter. And then no, when and, no. and then when you set up that negatively, and you you don't really get a resolute performance. I mean, I I I, I was I, I saluted the fact that you know the the starting lineup was commendable, but. I, I still felt that Leicester just walked right through us and I, I felt like they were able to find a, a gear that we couldn't 
at any point during the game? I just, um, I just think, um, you know, I think we touched on it when we last podcasted and we said, you know, downing tools is not, downing tools is basically just dropping a couple of percent. And, and this was a classic example of players downing tools, I think. And I know that it wasn't in a really obvious way. We didn't get some 4-0 and, you know, it could have been different, but no passion and no desire to win the game, in my opinion. Uh, no pressure from the front, no pressing, zero pressing. I don't know what's happened to pressing. I think we've just given up. Um, and, and just no drive, because the reality is, and, and, you know, that's on the players and the manager, but there was nothing wrong with the lineup. The lineup is, as, is, is pretty much as good as, as good as you can get. I mean, the fact that we haven't got a single injury in the first team means that there are absolutely zero excuses. And the lineup should have been good enough, and, and it wasn't. And you can point the fingers at, at pretty much all the players. The only players who really came out of it with any credit really was maybe, I thought Aubameyang was pretty good. Um, but <laughs> that's about it. And, and there, were, there were some really hapless performances as well. Right, and Ma- Matteo, Ma- Matteo Guendozi is starting to look like a, a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old on the pitch. Like, I, I feel he looks completely directionless. Like, he's putting in a lot of effort. It almost it almost looks a little bit like Flamini in his second phase. He's giving it a good go, but he's, he's a bit like a, um, a terrier chasing a ball um, over the park with his owner. Just no feel- direction, yeah. And then, um, and then Lacazette looks... It's heavy or, or flat-footed at the moment. He doesn't look himself. And, you know, you've got to say Pepe should be starting in front of him at the moment, I'd say. Um, but, yeah, there's just problems all over the pitch that I haven't really got anything positive to say about anyone at the moment. And this, um, it was, I was talking with friends before the game and, you know, a lot of people were like, Arsenal aren't showing the passion. They're scared. But I, I, I don't... I know that the intangibles are always the easiest way to analyse um, a football game because, you know, it, it does, you're not really saying anything. But I did feel that the body language wasn't positive out on the pitch. And a, a lot of people hit back at me for saying that there was no pressing from the front three, that, you know, that was a tactical decision to force, um, you know, force defenders that aren't as good on the ball to, to play out from the back. And I, I understand that, you know, that they sat a little bit back. But even when the ball came close to them, like Aubameyang, Lacazette and Ozil, were f- they, wouldn't, they wouldn't run after the ball. And that forced the midfield to push up. And then the midfield were, you know, either too far advanced because they were picking up the slack of the front three. Or we've got this nasty habit that under pressure, um, everybody sinks into the back line and leaves a huge gap in front of the midfield. And... I think that if there is if there is any familiar thread that's run through almost every game this season, it's that Emery just hasn't been able to structure a midfield properly. You know, no, and and well, the real thread I think, less even more than structure, is just how many how much carelessness has permeated every single position. There was a phase of play in the first half when we were trying to like play out from the back. Like haplessly, um, and it was just mistake after mistake after mistake, and 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 you couldn't even say it was one particular player; it was every player, and it was players like Bellerin, who I really really like, who was pretty shocking, looked well off the pace. Louise is just, I mean, he really just looks like he's come for like a final final paycheck to me. 
Um, the whole thing was the whole thing was just, it, and that's not even a structural thing. That's just a concentration thing, a coaching thing. It's it's you, you just can't excuse it. And 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 the first half, I don't think I've seen I've seen so many mistakes, simple passes in my life. And we're on season two of trying to play out of the back, and it's it's often a struggle to get past five passes, and then we get blo- yeah. then we get blocked in, or, do you remember or that? they just give it away. It's just a you know a hoof, a hopeful hoof. Do you remember that game uh, a year ago when we played Fulham away, and we all saying we've got our Arsenal back? Oh my god! Well, put the ground in, and we we scored those two sort of wonder goals coming out from the like, breaking, like full-length counter-attacks. And, uh, and there, there really did seem to be some sort of element of progress that we could play this sort of transition-based counter-attacking football. <laughs> that really was just a complete fluke, wasn't it? Well, it, it was I think them. it was a combination of, you know, the last <laughs> remnants of Wenger football and yeah. a combination of, of, of that and Fulham being one of the worst teams in the Premier League that year. Um, but yeah. and also, you know, that was uh, that was Peak Meza Erzul and Aaron Ramsey, oh, uh, and then the dream midfield, the dream midfield, the PowerPoint was on. That was uh, it was that PowerPoint all about how he's going to get the most out of the Erzul Ramsey and Xhaka combo, <laughs> and now Xhaka is too mentally sick to even play. Erzul can't be fucked, and Ramsey's in Italy. What yeah. a mess! And the the Granite Jacket thing is he's he's not he's not. He's not having mental health issues. He's just completely, as they say in America, butthurt that he's had the captaincy stripped from him and he doesn't, he doesn't want to play. Um, but, and, and, and to be honest, I think Emery would take any excuse not to have Jacker in the team at the moment. I mean, he's, um, he, he's quite a toxic player just to, just to even have uh, you know, on, on the pitch at the moment. But um, another, another notable um, point from the day, the, the summer's... Um, the summer signings that we were all so excited about have uh, not proved a, a fruitful batch. Ceballos not in the squad. Um, Tierney uh, on the bench. Kalasanak preferred to him, which is, I mean, I, I'm assuming that that's just a taste preference. Um, Gabriel, who really should have started today, he would have, um, he would have given the, the Leicester fullbacks uh, much more trouble um, than, than, than either Aubameyang or Lacazette caused today. Uh, who else did we have on the bench? And then, yeah, then your £80 million and then, signing. Yeah, no Chibayos. Well, uh, yeah, Pe- Pepe is, is not playing. So we're basically last season's team plus um, David Luiz. And David Luiz, Mustafi, doesn't really make a difference, does it? No. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it, it, they haven't bedded in well and it all goes back to, uh, without sounding like a broken record, has Emery got the ability to make any player better? Uh, and you sort of have to go, no, because like, look at the qualities that players need to improve. They need high-level coaching. Uh, they need to be surrounded. They need to, to, be, to be given a clear structure within which to play. Uh, ideal conditions around the club. Uh, ideally, the team needs to be a winning team. When you think about how we used to blood players, you know, and, and when we were good. You know, you bring one in and reminds me of when Ashley Cole broke into the team and Tony Adams would basically just tell him what to do and how to do it for a season until he knew the ropes himself. And now, if you're, if you're unfortunate enough to get into the first team as a young player, 
there is no one who is going to help you. You are literally just going to have this sink or swim. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it, so I feel like we're very much, uh, I feel like there were two ways that Emery could have treated Arsenal and it was treat, treat us like PSG or treat us like it's like we're severe. And I think that we're, we're, we very much behave like a small club now. You know, I, I know that there were reasons that he played, uh, you know, chose a negative strategy today. Uh, he's under a lot of pressure and Leicester are a good side. But, you know, we do the same thing against Sheffield United. We do the same thing against Aston Villa. We are just a negative um, football team now. And I, I, I think um, a lot of people are, you know, looking at managers like... Um, Mourinho and, and Allegri and I, I do wonder if you know when you're selecting a manager like we select a manager by how many trophies they've won or the things that they've done we don't necessarily think about the group of players and their personalities and you know what's going to help them thrive and I look at that Arsenal squad and I wonder whether having to play a negative type of football against inferior teams Adds to that five percent the that you're you know that 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 five percent loss you know it's not just it's not just players downing tools but when you go up to Leicester or a, a smaller club and your manager is giving you negative tactics does that just is that kind of like being asked to work on a farmer pitch or something like that you're like well, oh no, is, think, is that I where think, we're going I, I think there's a couple of things I think the first thing is I personally don't think you should hire a manager based on the kind of playing personnel you've got. And the reason for that is because uh, you want your manager to be long-term and players come and go. You can see how quickly the Arsenal squad has completely shifted since Wenger left. 18 months ago, it's a completely different team. Every individual is basically different. Um, or at least eight, eight first-teamers. So, so I think that... Um, you want to bring in a manager with a clear vision and style and then allow them to bring in the players um, who are going to make them successful. Which is why what I really want Arsenal to do is find a young, progressive, attacking-minded coach um, who can take the club forward in the long term. Um, because when you look at the players, I mean, we're in all sorts of bother because I can't see Aubameyang and Lacazette renewing. And then that sort of the idea that you have a potent front line could be completely decimated inside six months because we'll have to sell them in the summer if they don't renew. Um, so we don't want to bring in a manager just because we've got a couple of good strikers who can get the most out of them. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely a worrying situation. And I guess, um, I, I guess there's no point in going on about the Leicester game. It, it is what it is. Um, I, Arsenal are now... What nine points off um, off second? Um, we're actually sitting sixth in the league, uh, behind Sheffield United, of of, of all clubs. Which oh, shows Jesus. you the, shows you the type of season that we're having. Bournemouth are one point behind us, um, but so you know, the club's in a situation now where like, we've got a horrendous December coming up. I mean, we've got a lot of top sides that we're playing. Um, a lot of very difficult games. So things really could get worse. Um, we're heading into an international break now. Raul and Edu were sitting in the stands. They'll obviously be able to feel the tension um, in the squad. They'll have heard from various players' agents that they're unhappy with the way that Emery 
operates and they'll see the, the, the lack of application on the pitch. But they've got a tough decision because there's not a lot of choice out there. Um, where, if you were in charge of Arsenal right now and you had the, the, you know, the, you had the gun in your hand and the, the decision of when to pull the trigger was down to you, what would, what would you be thinking um, right, I mean, right One question second? I had, do we, do, we, do we know if the away fans were, uh, were singing uh, Emery out or is that, have, they, have they yet to reach that point yet? That was, I was trying to listen out on Twitter to see whether we'd reached whether we'd reach that point, because I sort of think that's the away fans are normally a really good uh, barometer of just 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 how bad things are, you know, because they're the people who go every game home and away. I feel like it's uh, so. I, I feel like it's so obvious that um, yeah. I, I don't. I don't even think they can be bothered to write a song. It's not like you know. You remember with the with Arsene Wenger, it really was. It was a battle. It was a you know fans versus club to try and get the point across. I think everybody's just like, wow, this is so shit that, you know, even the worst director of football could see that, you know, he, he needs to make a, a decision sharpish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, my, my, my perspective on it is he absolutely has to go. And I've thought this for a few weeks now. Uh, and I've said before that every day that he is, is, not, is not gone is a day that we can't improve. Um, but I do see the point of there's no point in getting rid of him and not having the right replacement in, in place. So, you know, I personally think that anyone could do a better job right now. But um, if, if we have to wait a little while while we line up someone who we think can actually do the job, um, then then so be it. But it really depends because there's, there's sort of two types of manager. There's the manager with which uh, we have to get them out of an existing contract. And there are the managers who are free agents. And if we think that one of the managers who are free agents is the right man for the job, i.e. an Allegri or an Enrique um, or one of those, then we should just get them in now during the international break and, and make it happen because things could not be worse. They can't get worse. I could coach the team and do better right now. Yeah, I tend to agree. And at the... The interesting thing is that Allegri really should be a, a front runner. I mean, if you know, you read up about him, or you just you know watched any of his Juventus sides, um, he's he's got a presence. Um, I, I understand that he's been learning English behind the scenes. Uh, he took a, a Juventus side, which you know I know that they're the best in Italy, but um, they're certainly not as well funded as a Madrid or a Barcelona. And he was in you know the last four of the Champions League um, a couple of times. Uh, he's tactically flexible. Like he, he looks at the group of players he's got, and he he builds systems around them. You know, like he switched it up when uh, Ronaldo joined Juve last season. So, and he's got great in-game management. Um, so, I, I wonder whether he's not being linked either because of something that he said when he was interviewed first time round, or whether there's just a misalignment of ambition. You know, like do we in, honestly do we honestly think he was interviewed first time round? Are you daring to question the great David Ornstein? Well, I'm just saying I don't understand how how a group of people could interview Allegri and Emery and think that Emery was a better bet. I'm just, like, I just can't get my head around it. I've always thought that Allegri... The reason we wouldn't, we wouldn't go for Allegri, there's two reasons. There's one is his football is more pragmatic. And the other one is... He, I don't know if he'd come. He is a real, he's a genuinely a top, top tier coach. 
And, you know, the idea that we turned him down, I don't know, I just, I'm not sure I can believe that when we've got, you know, Paju Paella in charge. I also can't believe that um, Emery was more compelling than Ralph Ranić. I mean, if you're looking for somebody to come in, uh, create a footballing infrastructure, um, to build out an exciting brand of football with young players... Rav Rangit would be your ideal man. Like he makes, you know, he's a, he, like, he's got an incredible vision, uh, and you know, he's one of the original sort of like hipster Gengam Press managers of the past. So I, I I can't believe that anybody on that eight man list. I mean, there were a couple on there that were a little bit, ooh, but um, most of them were more compelling than Emery, and most of them spoke English. Um, you, but, I mean, you sort of. I think you can just sort of. We've sort of got. We're sort of beginning to get an instinct of uh, of what Don Raul really goes for, isn't it? He he's beginning to come across as someone who is not particularly imaginative, yeah. uh, who's got quite a massive ego, mm-hmm. who uh, he, he's not a creative he's not a creative individual, is he? He's he's looking for a big name fix. And I think the thing he liked about Emery was the fact that he'd just been at PSG and won the league and had managed some big players. And that's, and he sort of went, you know, if we can get the manager who just won PSG the league, you know, that's pretty good. Um, and, you know, you just feel like the, the sort of smoke around Enrique and Mourinho is because that's the kind of person that Raul goes for. He, I mean, he's, he, he's a bit old-fashioned in his own views and... Well, we switched from Sven Mislintat's data-driven approach to scouting to a contacts-based yeah. approach. He's, he's um, I think Don Raul is a star fucker. You know, it looks that way. I, I think the, he, couldn't, he, he couldn't wait to get in bed with all of the super agents. Um, he made a, an outrageous splash on Nicolas Pepe. And I know that I'm not saying that I wouldn't have tried to sign Nicolas Pepe, but 80 million was... A hell of a lot of money for somebody that's as rough around the edges as he is. And I'm sure he'll come good, but I just wonder whether the squad needed uh, an 80 million Nicolas Pepe um, and a 20 million, you know, past its centre pack, David Luiz. I mean, you look at that, um, I can't say his name, Sionchu, the Turkish yeah. centre back. The, yeah. Arsenal were, the Arsenal were definitely, uh, like, sniffing around. Um, like that that's the sort of player that Arsenal should be signing. But David Luiz comes with a fancy agent, he comes with a big name, he's you know, he's played at the highest level um, throughout his career and we end up with him with total total combined cost of about forty million pounds, um, I'm told. So <laughs> uh, so the the two the, the front runners so far, uh, and I don't know whether this is generated by um the press or whether this is real, but You've got Jose Mourinho, who has been to dinner with Raul, completely uninspired. You've got Luis Enrique, who you know won a lot with Barcelona, but I kind of feel like anybody that's got Messi in their side has a good chance. Um, but like, if you read up on um, what he did when he when he when he switched up the side, he completely bypassed the midfield. Everything was about getting it to that front three of Neymar, uh, Messi, and Suarez. Um, the fans complained that there was a lack of identity and that there was no real vision for the football. Um, he's very abrasive and brusque in the in the media, so I'd imagine that they'll you know he's got he's got a bit more sauce about him. 
But like, is 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 that really what we want? I mean, I just uh, I just I just feel that we're getting a slightly better version of of Emery, and that maybe we should be being a little bit more ambitious. But ultimately, like, what's the alternative? Do you go for do you go for Freddie Lundberg, who you know went to Germany and was relegated and is at the absolute heart of the Emery mess? Like, is that a smart move? It's like mid-season hires, unless you've got somebody like Jurgen Klopp, who's been on a sabbatical, are very dangerous. But the great thing about Jurgen Klopp was, although he was in the elite rung of managers, he'd never had, he'd never tasted £200 million transfer budgets. So he was going from a small club to a big club. But, you know, so he grew the football with a bad squad. Just, I just wonder whether a Mourinho who has the taste for checkbook management, Allegri to a certain degree, probably wants to win the Champions League in the next two years to add that to his CV, would come in and probably be disgusted by what he saw because it's probably a five-year building job. And then, uh, and then you're left with Enrique, very uninspired, or Freddie Lundberg, who everybody loves, but I'm not sure that he's the top talent that we want to take us forward. So is it even is it is it worth like is it worth making the change now? Is and I'm being contrarian, but you know. Do you... Well, we just we we we've just got to do it, haven't we? Because it can't be any worse. Uh, and I sort of go. There's sort of three options. One is you just go Allegri. He's available. Try and get him in the door. <laughs> you know, when I'm saying this, I'm just thinking to myself: if, if I was a fan of another club, they'd just be laughing and going, "Why the hell would Allegri come to Arsenal?" We're a complete shambles from top to bottom at the moment. And, and I don't believe he would come. But if he was available and we thought we could get him, he's the, he's the standout candidate. Um, even a Luis Enrique is so much better than what we've got, it would be worth just giving him a go. I mean, if, if, if this whole episode proves one thing, it's that we are now, once we fire Emery, which I'm presuming we're going to do soon, we are just like everyone else, every manager. We're going to be going through managers every 18 months. For the next decade, yeah, yeah, uh, it, you know, and, and somebody that doesn't get mentioned very often, but I think is a a, a brilliant manager, um, Jardim. I know he's not having a good time at Monaco in like since he's been back the second time, but that football that he had um, Monaco playing when they beat Emery's PSG to to the league a few years ago was nothing short of spectacular. Everywhere he goes, he builds solid defense. Um, like he's he's very flexible. Like he can work with young players. Um, like he's, he doesn't have the the presence of somebody like a, an Enrique or an Allegri, but he quietly goes about the job, and he's he's definitely a fixer. And I I just wonder with all of that, um, you know, players like Gabriel waiting in the wings, just somebody that can come in and you know communicate well um, and build them up and be a bit of a healer for a couple of seasons. Whether that might be a a good option, but you know he's certainly cut it at the highest level. There's no doubt about that. So what would you do? Would you get rid of Emery now? I I, I think that even though I'm not a big believer, you know, I, I, I am a believer on paper in Freddie Lundberg because he's got a great relationship with the young players. He's a good communicator. Uh, and I think that he'll bring the fans together. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm told from people in and around him that, you know, he, he'll, he'll likely just be a, another Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But Ole Gunnar Solskjaer still has, you know, a good 10 games or whatever. So if, if we let go of Emery and gave the reins to Freddie until January and then saw how he was doing, if he was doing badly, then pull the trigger on somebody better. 
or give it to him until the end of the season, but don't give him a four-year deal. Like hire in somebody and you know give him a a, a bigger role next season. But I, I, I just I just really concerned that if if we make a if we make a terrible mistake with the next manager, we are irrelevant for the next ten years. We are Tottenham Hotspur in the nineties, um, and you just you just sleep you just see the the erosion. Of, of Arsenal over the last 10 years and it's very depressing and you really would be amazing if we just hired a, a good manager that could help build a young team up and help us fight for the Champions League in five years but I feel like you've got to find a, like you've got to find a Nagelsmann you've got to hire a, a Marco Rose or you know you've, you've got to take a chance on a manager that's got a big vision for the future not not uh, not hiring an old has been because they, like, like I predicted this at the start when it, when we hired Emery, said so the antidote to Emery will be the fans calling for a proven winner, and proven winner is not a recipe um, that Arsenal should be indulging in because it's ju- it's just a fallacy. Louis Van Gaal was a proven manager. Um, do you Marie- think uh, do you think Arsene Wenger is smiling somewhere? I I I don't I don't think he is smiling. Um, because he, I think he would be smiling if he got that Bayern Munich job, but <laughs> yeah. I, you know what an what an embarrassing shit show that was. Did you see the so uh, Bayern came out and denied that he was on the shortlist, and then he came back out and said no, he called me. It's, like, oh, I, it's a little bit sad, isn't it? It's a little bit sad. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when your mate says that uh, a girl really fancies him, but he turned her down and you know it's not true. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, not good. it's not good. It's also not good that when you, you start missing Arsene Wenger, you're like, oh God. Oh, at, least, at least when he was bad, he had a little bit of charisma and humour about him. I got, I, but watching, um, watching Unai Emery uh, put his, uh, his hood over and hide in his hood all game, I really hate it. It's like, take take your hood down. Just take it. He's, it's, it's, he's the Spanish Steve McLaren for me at the moment. He's fucking pathetic. It, it is pathetic. So, um, like, let's, uh, let's, let's play some predictions. Where do you think, um, what do you think the club are going to do this week? Are they going to stick or are they going to twist? Well, I was really convinced that, uh, that if we lost to Leicester, that would be it. Um, but I just heard some murmurings that, <laughs> typical... Uh, the thing that might prevent it happening is that they don't want to spend all the money on replacing him. <laughs> so, um, having thought they would get rid of him now, I'm, I'm sort of wondering whether he might get till Christmas. I really hope not, but um, I can't. But I, I want to. I want to counter that uh, that tweet. I think it's absolute bollocks. If uh, you know Arsenal are many things, but I don't think they're amateur when it comes to um, the finances of the football club. I cannot believe that a club that had internal data pointing so south um, that they'd go into the season knowing that they'd spent so much money in the summer that they couldn't fire Emery if it all went to shit. I just, I just don't believe that. And I'd imagine the you know, Hus family comes from Sky. I'd imagine that there's some like hidden small print in that contract that either says that if we fire Emery, we certainly don't pay him out in one massive lump sum. We just keep him on the wage bill until the end of the season. Or there's, you know, some sort of break clause that isn't quite as beastly as having to pay him out 18 months. Um, but yeah. it, does, it does show you, it's like, you feel like the, the next manager that we bring in, like, just keep on bringing these managers in on two-year deals. They don't need three years. No. 
But we thought that Emery was on two year, didn't we? That was sort of. I thought there was a sense that it was a two year deal, but until Ornstein came out and said, no, it's a three year. Yeah. Um, depressing. It is depressing. It is depressing. But at least it's, at least it's not boring. At least it's not boring. I think it's just completely. I'm just, I've just got a lot of complete interest in it. I mean, it's just like, like you said, it's just apathy from the fans, you know? Like, like when I said, were the away fans singing anti Emery out? It's like, no, nah, can't really be bothered. Yeah, fans can't even be bothered to sing Emery out. And I think the, yeah. the, the depressing thing about it is football doesn't have to be complicated, right? Like when, when football is your, is your day-to-day and, you know, like when you're looking for a manager, just do some due diligence. How could anybody have done their due diligence on Unai Emery and thought this, this guy's going to succeed? How could anybody sit in a meeting room with him and be inspired by his plans? You know, it's like, I'm not going to get angry about Nicolas Pepe not performing well. I'm not going to get angry about Ceballos um, or, or, or Torreira. Torreira has been terrible um, this season. And maybe he's not suited to the league. But at least when you looked at the decisions to bring in those players, you were like, well, Ceballos was um, under-21 player of the tournament this summer. Uh, and he's just come from Madrid. Um, Nicolas Pepe absolutely tore it up in France last year. But you can understand the rationale behind a decision. Like not every decision is going to be correct. But when you look at the Unai Emery decision, you just can't, I, I can't piece together how anybody looked at the data um, the, or, or looked at the history or picked up the phone to somebody at PSG and said, what do you think of Emery? Because it wouldn't have been positive. Pick up the phone to like Tiago Mota and say, what was it like working under him? It feels like they, they made that decision in eight days. It was completely rash, and it was based on contacts. And that's, that's what happens when you make a decision based on emotion and a feeling and looking at the numbers that, that make you happy. And I, I, my worry is I just can't see... I, I, just, don't, I just don't know whether they're going to make another good decision. And we're going we're gonna to end up in, like you said, we're going to end up like Tottenham. Harry Redknapp comes in. Or Eddie, you know Eddie Howe, or just, just, I just worry that we're not equipped to make great decisions, and I think that don't think that Raúl is has Arsenal DNA. He's got Barcelona DNA, and we always get stung by people with Barcelona DNA. Bad times, mate. Bad times. Bad times. Anyway, um, that was fun. Thank you for joining me on the pod. Um, we'll probably call an emergency podcast if something major happens. <laughs> Um, please, God. Yeah, please, please, please. please. I'll, I'll be on here in two hours if that comes, and I'll be round your house with a bottle of champagne, and we'll be celebrating uh, into the night. But until then, when do you, when do you, when do you think it's going to happen? I think if they, because it is I, when, I think, not if. I think I think they've got to do it on Monday morning if they if they're going to do it. The call, yeah. I'd imagine that they'll call a meeting with him tomorrow. Um, then they'll agree what the plan of uh, the plan of action is, and then they'll announce it on Monday. Uh, and then I, I, I think if they're going to do anything, I, on, I honestly think that they'll put Freddie in charge um, yeah, as the interim. I agree. And, and the, Which makes the most sense, doesn't it, really? Because it will unite the fans and it doesn't matter if Freddie's shit because everyone no. fucking loves him. Yeah. So uh, hopefully we're on a podcast on Monday. If not, um, enjoy the rest of your night and uh, thank you for listening and we will be back very shortly. Goodbye. Ciao for now. Cheers, mate.
streaming the world's biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56 and the 2022 Winter Olympics. Peacock Original Bel-Air from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Damn! Plus tons of new movies every week, including Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson, in theaters and streaming only on Peacock Valentine's Day. With all this and so much more to love, sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.